Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual. So today we are talking to Vanessa. Vanessa is born in Venezuela and she tells us how he was growing up in this uh, country during a difficult time. Later in life, she moved to the US, first to Jersey and then to Miami. In Miami, she went to photography school and discovered her new passion while there. And one thing led to another, she got a job as a professional photographer in Hawaii. So she moved last year, just before the pandemic, to Hawaii. And now she's really enjoying a job over there. And she actually discovered a new interest over there, uh, nude photography. So yeah, hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? Hi, how are you guys? Good. Thank you so much for joining us to record this episode today. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. I actually really appreciate it because so we are in France. Uh, it's 4 p.m. for us, but you are in Hawaii at the other side of the world and it's 4.25 a.m. for you. So thank you so much. I really actually appreciate that. I don't think I would wake up at 4 a.m. to record a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. So thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, I think the audience should hear our story of me waking up late for this. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, we actually met in Miami a couple of years ago. Uh, you were one of the mischief maker at Daybreaker. We had many guests on the podcast from Daybreaker. And yes, yeah, so we met through that with all those amazing people, through those amazing events. Um, and then in 2019, if I remember, you moved to Hawaii, right? I moved, no, I moved here in 2020, so it was right before oh, the pandemic, just before COVID. February okay. 2020, right. when yeah. it was still, you know, this virus in China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a big deal. <laughs> so you made it right in time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I came yeah. here and uh, right a month, like a month and a half after I moved here, we shut down. But back then it was still like, you know, this virus in China. It will probably take a little bit, and yeah. <laughs> being a pandemic was still like a like a theory. Yeah. Nobody yeah. really knew that it was going to go that route so fast and yeah. so long. Yeah, I guess so. It, yeah. it depends on how you see it. It could have been perfect timing or the worst timing for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's just how you want to see it. Yeah, we're gonna go back to Hawaii in a few minutes, uh, but let's go back to a few years ago. You're actually from Venezuela yes, and you grew correct. up in, in Venezuela. Uh, yes. How was growing up in Venezuela? Because, you know, for most of the time when we hear about your country in the news, it's it's not about good things. It's usually about violence and political problems and 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 things like that um so yeah i'm actually curious like how was growing up in venezuela for you yes um i think it's very interesting that you say that like about how the media plays a huge role in what we perceive about people and the world because i remember when i was a kid um i would travel to the u.s um, maybe every other year to visit Disneyland with my family. And I remember back then when I was maybe eight years old or something like that, uh, people will ask us where we were from. And when I said Venezuela, 
that's actually kind of like an internal joke uh, between us when because I don't say Venezuela, but like Venezuela. It mm. sounds like Minnesota for some reason. And it's so weird. It's so weird. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it happens a lot. People will be like, Minnesota? And I'm like, no, Venezuela. And like some people will be like, oh, so we're East Latin America, right? Yeah. Or like, oh, do you speak Spanish or Portuguese? Um, that kind of thing. And yeah. I remember people will be like, oh, do you guys have... One time this guy asked me if we had TVs. And I was like, what do you mean? I, <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. And he's like, so what kind of shows do you watch? And I'm like, well, probably the same like yours because uh, Hollywood is huge. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's so funny. And then whenever people started hearing about Venezuela and who we were and where we were located and all those things, I was kind of excited, but it's unfortunate that it was because of the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, growing up was, I guess growing up in Latin America is very different than growing up in the U.S. in general. Mm. Um, I will say the biggest difference is, difference is probably people in Venezuela, well, I guess in Latin America in general, are very like family oriented. Not that you guys are not, but like it's like how you see it in Latin American shows or like if they ever have a Latino character in a movie. It's like exactly like that. Like we are all yeah. about family. Mm -hmm. So people like grow up going to grandma's house every Sunday, you know, and uh, you will ask your mom for advice for every single decision. And because the economy is not so great, even back then, uh, people will still stay in their parents' houses until they were 25, mm -hmm. 30 years old. And it was so normal. So yeah. for us to hear that Americans moved out when they were 17, we were like, what? They're <laughs> kids. How do they, how do they yeah. handle being by themselves at 17? Like I was making so many wrong decisions at 17. <laughs> 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 so I guess like that will be one of the main differences. And then, well, Venezuela is a very beautiful country when it comes to landscapes. Um, mm. So we have a little bit of everything, like waterfalls, mountains, beaches. Um, the beaches are so blue that look like the Maldives beaches. Um, mm. the, we have the highest waterfall. Have you guys seen Up, the movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's inspired in a place in Venezuela. It's called Angel Falls. Mm. Um, in, in Spanish, it's uh, El Salto Angel. So it's okay. like the literal translation. And it's the highest waterfall in the world. So that's very beautiful oh. to be able to see that. Uh, and I guess that for me, that's why Hawaii, like I felt a little bit connected um, that in that yeah. sense. It's like, it reminds me of home a little bit. And I think in that sense, like if you, if we speak about the positive things, that to me is like waking up to grandma's breakfast, you know, mm. and um, eating all in the same table, we're the kind of people like Italians who believe that the families that eat together stick together kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, well, when I was a teenager, things started to, you know, get a little bit harder um, because of the economy. And it's basically, you know, as you guys know, it's a dictatorship. Yeah. So everything was not a dictatorship, maybe like, North Korea dictatorship, but more like 
a subtle kind of dictatorship where they make you believe that you're free, but you're really not. Mm -hmm. So it started very progressively. They will, uh, let's say, close a radio station and people will talk about, will compare Venezuela with Cuba and they will be like, oh yeah, Venezuela is going to become Cuba. And I remember people being like, no, no way. There's no way we can be that. Like we wouldn't let that happen. But then it happened so progressively that people didn't notice. So by the time they started noticing, it was too late because Mm. they made sure the population, like the civilians didn't have the resources to fight back. So they changed the gun control um, policies. They changed um, all the information. They censored all the information that we see on the TV and radio and magazines yeah. and newspapers. So they wanted you to know whatever they were they creating for the yeah. world to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the hardest thing. And and because of that, I left. It was very insecure to be there. But I always remember my childhood and I always try to go back to those happy moments and tell yeah. people about the good things. Because of that, like media, the media paints all these like super tragic picture, which is not entirely false, but it's, it's also not just, just one side of the coin. Exactly, yeah. it's not just that. It's that yeah. when they talk about probably Syrian people, um, you know, it's horrible what they're going through. It's horrible, but I'm sure they have so many good stories and. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it's that, so interesting that, that's the same for every place in the world anyway, I think. I mean, when, yeah. like, b- before moving to Miami, all we thought about Miami was a party town with spring breakers and, oh, totally. you know, South Beach, Ocean Drive, and people with guns and gangsters and drugs. Like, that's the vision yeah. we had about Miami before moving to Miami, which is, yes. you know, a little tiny part of the truth Just about Miami so it's, yeah so it's the same about every places I think and well that's why traveling is so important right because you can actually see yeah. with your own eyes what's the country and what the culture and the people are like yeah especially so. to get to live a place how the locals do because yeah. usually what you're talking about like it happens to every city or island or whatever it is um, the touristic side of it uh, that's what people remember, and that's what it's highlighted the most uh, in the news. But mm-hmm. nobody talks about, yeah, that super amazing Buddhist, temp- Buddhist temple in Kendall, you know, mm-hmm. in Miami. Or nobody talks about what local people do. They don't hang out in South Beach every day. Yeah. Or maybe some <laughs> of them do. Some of them do. <laughs> but there are so many amazing things to do in Miami that nobody knows about. Yeah. I want to ask you about food in Venezuela. What was your favorite food growing up? Oh, so there are these things. It will be very hard to explain what they are, but it's called cachapas. So they are made of corn flour and it's basically filled with cheese. But Venezuelan cheese is very, you will say, I always make fun of uh, how we never really grew up with with the word organic. That wasn't mm-hmm. a thing. Like I never heard growing up, like oh, this organic 
um, <laughs> cheese or like this organic, yeah. whatever, like it, it wasn't a thing. But looking back right now, I'm like, everything was organic. That's why yeah. we didn't yeah. have that word. <laughs> it didn't need to be labeled because everything exactly. was just organic. Yeah. Everything was organic, but not because we were trying to be healthy or fit or anything like that. It's because probably Venezuela doesn't have the infrastructure to uh, produce massively. So you will go to a local supermarket and buy something that probably some farmers that are two hours away produce and then they bring it in a truck the same day and everything is just very simple. So cheese is so fresh. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's what I I think miss the most. When I arrived to the U.S., I'm like, oh, this cheese is like (laughs) uh, not really good. (laughs) Now I'm used to it. But that I really, really miss. And I haven't been able to eat like a proper cachapa. They do sell them in Miami, though, at certain mm-hmm. places in Doral. But okay. because of the cheese, it's not the same. Then it complete, completely changed the recipe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really good. And the arepas, I don't know if you guys have ever tried those. Yeah, yes. I actually loved in Miami. I, I don't know in, your, in for your standard if it's a good place, but doggies... <laughs> In Miami, it's, uh, it's a Venezuelan restaurant. In... Yeah, Doggies is on uh... 73rd and Biscayne, something like that. Oh, yes, I think I went once. And I don't remember, like... honestly, how they were, uh, but I think I did go once with a friend. I cannot yeah, remember. I like arepas and patacon. I love yes, patacon. Yes, are so good. Yeah. <laughs> they're only from, like, a region of Venezuela, um, but they're so good. I guess... Uh, arepas and patacones are like our version of tacos <laughs> yeah. you yeah, can put probably, everything yeah. in them like there are yeah. arepas with like black beans with cheese with avocado with like seafood is crazy it's yeah. like a taco basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so what did you uh study in in venezuela i studied a uh, foreign affairs Mm. So I wanted to be a diplomat when I was mm. a kid. <laughs> Interesting. That's not. I know. That's not something you hear very often. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I wanted to. I was that kind of person who was like, oh yeah, like I want to change the world. You know, like when you're 16 and you feel yeah. like you're invincible. But that kind of changed over the years, and I just realized that. You don't have to be a president or be a diplomat to make small changes. I mean, you don't have to change the whole world. You just have to change your perspective sometimes or mm-hmm. the perspective of the people around you. So I feel like I cannot like relate to the career I started anymore. That's not what I want to do full time. But I do think it gave me this I don't know, I guess like characteristic um, that I apply in other aspects of my life, like in photography, for example, I I think that's something that I always have in the back of my mind. Like I I want to do something that is, that somehow changes the way people see certain issues, like like women or like the environment or, I don't know, even the way we relate or the way we talk about ourselves or, all these things and I I don't know I guess I just figure out that I can make that change um, 
through other like through art for example and not necessarily working for the united yeah. um yeah. i say it called in english united nations you and now yeah united yeah. nations yeah 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 you can use the same values and and put an intention in what you do um it doesn't have to be yeah you don't have to become a politic or, or anything like you said to change the world it's actually probably not the best way to go right now <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> in a sense not so, so much uh, not so yeah. trustworthy right now <laughs> sadly yeah <laughs> so, yeah. so then at, at what age did you leave um venezuela and go to miami like had you worked after you graduated like what happened kind of before moving to miami Yes, I worked. The only job that I had that was kind of related to what I did was I worked in a consulate as an intern uh, while I was still in college. So I stayed there a little bit after graduated and I was assist with different things. Uh, they're basically, I, it's very administrative, like consulates versus embassies. Embassies uh, take care of relationships between countries yeah. versus consulates are for the civilians for their population so they yeah, so take care passport of passports and, like and visas and yeah, yeah. Uh, so i worked for them it was a really good experience but i just realized it wasn't what it i guess motivated me the most i wasn't so passionate about it mm-hmm. i still learned it was really cool i worked for the peruvian consulate in caracas so um, it was fun because uh, their president elections were that year, I think the year after I started. So I got to uh, organize the elections and all the um, like the voters and all the, how do you call that in English, like uh, poll centers, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, the poll centers. And it was a really fun experience. It was like, event planning but like really serious yeah, because you cannot mess yeah. up <laughs> there's no dancers on stage and <laughs> there's no hugging committee yeah. like in um, daybreaker yes and then uh i found this job um it's really funny like i have this friend who is super I guess she's the kind of person who never stops learning and she's very driven. And And I remember her being like, oh, I want a job that pays in dollars and where I'm able to speak English and French because she's very fluent in French. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, we would joke about it. Like it was something utopic. Um, yeah. And then one day she came to the consulate and she was like, I found this job for Montreal. It's a job search engine, so you do have to speak French and they pay like it was like $500 which it sounds like crazy like low for American standards but because we were in Venezuela the salaries back then I remember the average a salary was $30 a month because of the currency like the inflation the difference is insane so for me I was already thinking of leaving the country and I was like, how am I going to be able to do that with $30? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy. So mm-hmm. she told me about it and she's like, oh, I think you should apply to. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about that industry, but let me see. And so it's basically, it was a job search engine. So you go and you can find jobs all around the world. Um, and I was a content creator for them and for the Latin American 
market. market. And also uh, a little, it was like a little bit of everything, but that was the job that gave me the tools to actually leave because even though it sounds like exploitation, right? Like my salary was $450. <laughs> that wow. was my salary a month. And I will work like eight, 10 hours a day. So it's not even like it was a part-time job or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But that was what made me save money. And it sounds crazy now, but I only saved maybe 3K before moving mm -hmm. to the US. And that's how I moved. I didn't wow. have like anything else. No savings. Like my car was worth $800 in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. um, I had a bike. And it was like maybe a hundred bucks or something. So that was kind of crazy now that I think yeah. that I look back, it's it kind really of crazy brave. that I made that decision with $3,000. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was really determined to leave. So at that point I knew that I wasn't going to be able to afford a rent by myself. So I get in touch with my aunt who lives in Jersey. She has been living there for maybe 20, 25 years. Uh, so my little cousins are American. She's married to an Italian. So they're like Venezuelan slash Italian slash Venezuelan. <laughs> um, and I spoke to her and I was like, hey, like that was, I guess, the most. I don't really like to ask for help. I'm that kind of person. Like I'm very independent and I don't like to ask for help. But that was the time that I was like, okay, if I am going to do this, it's going to be for this. Yeah. So I spoke to her. I'm like, can I give you a call? And I was like, hey, I was selected in this lottery. And now they they give you a day to leave. They were like, okay, you have to leave the country before, let's say, May 28th. So oh. I had maybe two or three months to get ready. And I already knew that I was leaving, so I was saving money. But I just didn't know how or when. So when that happened, I was like, okay, this is the moment. When is this, this is going it. to happen again? <laughs> you know, like to get a visa like that, like it, I couldn't waste that opportunity. So I spoke to her and I ended up moving to Jersey for the first six months. Well, like five months until I found a job in Miami. And then I was independent again. <laughs> how was your, how did your family react to that? Did they support you in the, in the process and they want you to move? Yes, they definitely wanted me to move. They were very supportive. So it was like, I was the first one, at least of the closest, like, um, how do you say that? Like the closest family members that left. Yeah. I was the first one. So I guess that was good because it was a, a motivation for them to leave. Uh, a year later, everybody left. My mom, mm -hmm. my uncles, my sister, everybody left. Um, so that was really good. But for me, that was the first one. It felt like, oh, like I'm leaving them behind kind of thing. Yeah. Like they're in a dangerous place and now I'm here. Yeah. And like the first time that I went to Walmart with my aunt in Jersey, I remember she was super sweet and she was like, oh yeah, you, I think, you know, you can grab whatever you want. Like in Venezuela, we have a lot of, um, at the end because we don't, really produce and again the dictatorship blah 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 like we import a lot of food which makes it super expensive so we got used to eating in a very simple way like you will buy chicken and rice and veggies but yeah. nothing crazy like i will never buy like cereal for example 
Mm-hmm. Um, so when I when I went to Walmart with her, she was like, "Oh, what do you want to do? Like, you can eat whatever." And I, I remember feeling so overwhelmed, and I started crying in the supermarket, mm-hmm. which is so crazy. Mm-hmm. But back then, it felt like, "Oh, like my mom is not even able to find shampoo sometimes, and I'm here, you know, able to do whatever them. I want." Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt selfish. I felt. Yeah, it was a weird feeling, but now I'm so glad that everything worked out perfectly and they left and now we're safe and it's perfect. It ended up being amazing. When when you moved, did you know they were going to join you one year later or you had no, no idea? No. No, they had no plans of leaving when I left. Hmm. Uh, it was more like it happened naturally because I guess... When you see someone in your family that makes that decision, then it makes you think, okay, maybe I can do it too. And I think that's what happened. My mom came to visit me in Miami. And while she was visiting, she was supposed to stay with me for a month only. And we started talking about it, like, why don't you stay? You know, like it's now or ever, it's very expensive to even buy a boarding pass. It's just getting worse and worse. Why don't you stay? And then she did so. Mm. I'm very I'm very blessed that all that happened because I, I don't really have family in Venezuela anymore. Maybe one or two people that I know are still in mm. Venezuela. And is your family all in Miami now? Apart um, from your auntie in Jersey? Mostly. Well, my sister is in Argentina, my mom is in Miami, and then the rest of my family is in Spain or other countries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, all Good. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the... Um, green card lottery did you apply just once and you got it once or did you have to keep applying every year for it no it was the first year that I was applying they do it every year but I didn't know about it and a friend at the consulate told me hey um, so there is this program blah 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 and I thought it was that it was fake honestly because I was like, what do you mean that the U.S. is going to make a lottery for people to come here? I have heard that they don't want immigrants. Why will they make a lottery for immigrants? You know? yeah. It sounds so weird. Um, so I thought it was fake, but she's like, no, 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 it's a real thing. The thing is like, it's called a diversity visa program and the state of department makes it every year for eligible countries and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, sure, let's try it. And then the day, so they open it every year around October Mm. and then they give the results in May next year. So in May, she was like, oh, you can go to a website and check that now. So I enter with this predisposition, like, oh, I'm just going to enter to read that I wasn't, you know, it's kind of like when you check, when you buy a lottery ticket and it's like, okay, of course I'm not going to get it, but I'm just, (laughs) you know, tempting the lock to see if maybe, you know, (laughs) Uh, so when I read the thing, oh, you have been randomly selected, I spent like five minutes just looking at the screen. (laughs) What? And then I screenshot the screen, I screenshot the screen, that sounds so good. I screenshot the cell phone (laughs) and then sent it to a lot of people, my mom included. And Mm. I was like, what do you think about this? Like, I guess like in my mind, I was still thinking that they will be like, oh, no, 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 you read wrong. You know, like it yeah. sounds yeah. like here that whatever, whatever. And they were like, what? So you're moving <laughs> to the US? And I was like, oh, I guess I am. Wow. <laughs> yes, that was so crazy. And with that, there's no limit. You can stay now in the States forever. 
Well, it gives you a temporary, uh, well, no, it's a permanent residency for 10 years. So after 10 years, you can renew it. But honestly, because you have been living here, in order to become a citizen, you only have to be living here for five years. Like, mm-hmm. I think uninterrupted five years. Um, so technically, next year, I'm already able to apply to for the citizenship. So I want wow. to start, like, start studying and all that. You have to, like... Uh, learn from American culture and you have to speak at least basic English and go yeah. to an interview and you know make that um, how is it called like when you kind of like swear on the Bible like, like, oh, yeah. oath? like oath? Played allegiance or yeah. the country or yeah yeah <laughs> that, that, will, that you will <laughs> yes I know that's a real American thing to do <laughs> yes it totally is <laughs> that's so funny so when you arrived in Miami, did you have any plan at all? Did you know what you could be doing or anything? Because I well, mean, with 3K in Miami, you don't survive that long. Oh, but she was six yeah. months in Jersey. Yeah, I, yeah. I was. A, yeah, I left. I lived in Jersey first, uh, so I found a job in Miami, and I felt like everything that was happening to me, it was almost like meant to be. I don't even know that I believe in fate so much. But uh, sometimes I feel like there are certain things that just happen in such a weird way that it makes you question. Um, mm. Because besides the lottery, when I was in Jersey, I applied to around maybe 250 jobs. And the only reason why I know this is because I will keep track of them. So I had a an Excel sheet with all the jobs and I will add notes like this one interviewed me once or they call me for a second interview or they say no right away or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when uh, I applied to all these jobs, I got out of around 250 uh, applications, I got called to maybe 15 interviews. So out of which maybe I got three job offers and at the beginning, I will apply for things that were more related to my field. And then I started like lowering the bar, you know, like, okay, I'll interview with Google. I actually interviewed with Google. And that was like, I don't think I was, like, that job was not for me. But I guess like I was just trying a lot of different things and I felt a little lost back then. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I knew diplomacy wasn't a thing anymore. Um, I wasn't into photography yet. I did want to study as a hobby. And it was something that it was in my mind all the time. But I never actually took the step to study until I got to Miami. So when I, I was in Jersey, it was still this discovery phase um so it's funny because it was like google okay they say no okay i'll apply for normal companies and okay they also say no okay well um okay i guess i will apply for restaurants then Hmm. and okay they also say no so it's like i started like lowering my expectations which i think it was a good thing because it made me realize that any job that you have even if it if it's not, and I guess it happens with jobs and people and everything in life, uh, even if you're not where you want to be yet, that doesn't mean that it's not the right step to uh, to take, like the right decision. Like mm-hmm. maybe, okay, the restaurant wasn't my dream job, but it gave me the opportunity to become more fluent in English because I was taking orders, answering the phone, talking to people the whole time. And 
I remember like one time I didn't understand the order and I gave the phone to another coworker. I was mm. like, can you please let me know what they're saying? Like, I, I still, I had a little bit of English. I, I did study English when I was in Venezuela, but I guess all the, the sayings and culture yeah. and uh, there are so many things that are related to language more than just, you know, the normal conversation. Hi, how are yeah. you? My name is this and that, you know, so um it's like one thing took me to the other one and uh when i applied to all these jobs that was my story sorry i'm like deviating and going all around no. circles, but <laughs> <laughs> um so this job in miami i never applied for it and a friend recommended me with her boss without me knowing she sent my curriculum and they call me, but I have been talking to so many employers that when they call <laughs> me and they were like, hey, Vanessa, so we want to coordinate the interview for Thursday, da 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 um, So it was a school in Miami, and I was like, oh, okay, perfect, yes, I can make it on Thursday at this time. And then when I hang up, I was I, like... I don't remember you, but... <laughs> Did you say Miami? Like, I have been applying to a lot of jobs in Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, New York and not Miami. So I was like, did he say Miami? <laughs> like, did I hear right? Like, what, what, what is this? And I went to that Google, like sheet, like that, um, yeah, Excel sheet and started looking at it. And I was like, there must be something wrong about this. Like, well, how, how did my information end up in Miami? I don't understand. That was so funny until my friend told me like, oh, yeah, I gave your curriculum to your boss. And I'm like, geez, thank you. Like, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks like, for the heads up. I'm very grateful. But so I didn't know that. So that was so funny. And I ended up moving to Miami. And that was also an impulsive decision. They told me, okay, when, we, when are you available to start? Okay, can you give me two weeks? Yes, perfect. So in two weeks, I was like, okay, I have... 3k in my pocket uh my aunt was so amazing that she never let me pay anything and i'll be forever grateful for that because it gave me the opportunity to start in miami and to actually pay a deposit and all that to have an apartment mm -hmm. um so i moved and i was like okay i have 3k no car uh i have a few like family members but not I guess so close. I had a cousin and she was also super amazing and welcoming and helped me out a lot. She even bought me like um, kitchen utensils to my new apartment and all these things. It was super fun. But yeah, I guess like I feel like there was a Vanessa before and after moving to the US and I was the kind of person who will take a long time to make decisions and almost like write down a list with pros and cons and all these things. And when I moved to the US, now I feel like the most impulsive person, like, okay, there is this thing in Hawaii. Okay, boom, bye, I'll Done. go, you know? So <laughs> that's really cool. I feel more free now to make decisions without worrying so much. Well, I guess also like coming from maybe, you know, uh, a, a country where everything is not served on the plate to you where you have to work for things and and you had the chance to move to a new country to start a new life and and, and in, in, a, in a way like escape the, the issues you had in the country like maybe you realize also that 
we spend in life a lot of time deciding if A or B is the right answer for things that are so meaningless. Like we worry, oh, should I wear, you know, a blue top, a white top? I mean, I, we spend so much time making decisions that are really not that bad. It doesn't matter. Exactly. When if you, if you just focus on what actually matters and for the rest, you just like, fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah. What's the worst that can happen to me? And I mean, look at you now. <laughs> yeah, that's, in Hawaii, that's this very way, true. So. I think this is the first time in my life that I feel like I'm actually able to make superficial decisions. You know, like it doesn't mm. matter anymore. It's not a life or death decision anymore. And that feels great. It's like now I can decide the color of my walls, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, think of these um, very superficial things that yeah as you say like they're really not that important so i think it makes you more open and appreciative and yeah grateful for sure because yeah it's 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 luxury and a privilege to have this choice in a sense exactly which yes no most a lot of people don't realize that i mean so it's yeah it's really so in miami you went to photography school right yes was the how how did you end up there? Like, was that something in the back of your head for like years? Did you enjoy photography as a kid or whatever? Or where is that coming from? Yes, I always enjoyed taking pictures. And when I was a kid, um, my grandpa owned a tech store. So my mm. grandpa is like the person I probably admire the most in the whole world. Like he 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 passed away already, but um he was this super curious person who didn't go to school um and even then he will read so many books he will read a book overnight uh and he his house he was very poor growing up and he will like climb trees to take mangoes and then sell them or like go to the entrance of a church and sell candles or he will build um things with wood and help people um, take their groceries to their homes and all these things. So uh, he didn't have a, a lot growing up. He he had a Spanish dad and a Cuban mom and they got divorced in a time where, well, they didn't actually get divorced. They got separated. They never actually divorced, which is, I think, interesting because back then, I don't even know if he was allowed to get divorced. Yeah. Um, who knows? We're talking about what, like maybe the 40s or the 50s? I don't even yeah. know. So he started working really hard, um, doing different things and reading and reading and reading. And he read so much that when I was growing up and I was doing homework, I will ask him about anything and he will have an answer for geography and he will make calculations in his mind without a calculator he will be like oh yeah this and this and this and this and <laughs> that was always so amazing to me so he was a huge example for me and he owned a tech store years later like you know fast forward he he worked really hard and he bought a house for his own whole family he was the kind of person who will help everybody and he um 
ended up partnering with this guy to own um, a tech store. So he was very into cameras, even though he wasn't a photographer or videographer. So when I was a kid, he was always recording. I guess it mm -hmm. was like the old school version of vlogging before it was a yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he will record everything. Like we were like playing or eating or just watching a movie or anything. It was, it didn't have to be a special occasion. He was just doing it because he liked it. And I remember being so annoyed by it. I was like, oh, grandpa, like, why do you always have to be recording me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and now how ironic I ended up becoming a photographer too. Yeah. And now I, I appreciate that so much because I, I think it was like the very early stages of me being curious about that. And so it was always that, it was always something that I wanted to do but I never had the resources to actually buy a camera. And because Venezuela was so dangerous, uh, you cannot really go on the streets with a camera. It will be very, you become a target basically. Right. So when I moved to Miami, I was, I found out that this school of photography that I had been wanted to go to in Caracas had a second uh, like branch in Miami. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, this is the time. This is the time I'm not gonna postpone it anymore. So I went there for a very basic course. It's called Roberto Mata School of Photography. Um, and it was digital one. So it was basically how to use the camera, how to turn it on, <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. Like what the settings are, what is ISO, what is aperture, what is shutter speed. And I liked it so much that I kept going and going. Uh, and then actually for digital two or digital three, that's where I met um danny the guy you guys interviewed recently oh, yeah. yes i think it's like it's so fun how everything is connected yeah you know yeah. like you meet people in all these stages of your life and and they all take you to another place you know like mm -hmm. uh, i remember uh in that class he was like oh like i saw your instagram and I saw that you went to Daybreaker, that very first Daybreaker that I went to with like 30 people. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I was the one with the panda head. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm one of the organizers. So if you ever want to volunteer, let me know. And I'm like, yeah, I might take you up on that because it was actually a pretty amazing event. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up going again and he gave me the ticket to go you know you can take one person i was yeah. his uh EVT, yeah, his so yeah his guest so that was really cool and i just kept going taking classes taking classes for about two years yeah. and i just realized okay this is what i want to do for a living like this is the thing that i'm very passionate about this is something that i feel it can make that small change that we were talking about um i see photography as a way of expression and as a way to i guess let people know about yourself in a very subtle way it's like some people use movies or music or or i don't know painting or anything like dancing mm -hmm. any way of expression artistic ex expression and um for me photography was that and because i was going through all these changes in my life i felt like photography was the way for me to just train that and heal that so at the beginning it felt more like a therapy something that i was doing for me 
And then over time, I was like, okay, I actually want to do this for other people. And that's when I realized, okay, I think I healed because I'm not doing this for me anymore. I'm doing it because I want other people to feel something with pictures mm. or at least, you know, if they can maybe not feel the way I feel, but if they can feel something, that's enough for me. So, yeah. On your website, you you talk about your creative process saying that it's not like a linear process you talk about you listen to a song you read a book you watch a movie and a word a sentence is going to take you somewhere and inspire you to take a photograph or whatever uh you you, you seem to like like storytelling and yeah like it's more than just taking a snap it's is really like sharing a story through your photography i don't know that's what i felt reading your bio in your website yes i think uh i think a pretty picture is just the tip of an iceberg i think there's so much more to photography than just a pretty picture in fact there are amazing photographers who do documentary photography and maybe they're not the most amazing like well composed and well exposed and all these things uh, pictures but they tell a story they impact the world um in either a positive or a negative way they make you feel something and that to me was always very interesting about photography how there are so many things you can do with it and how it's connected to other things in life um either about your personal life like you documenting your transition in this period of time or you taking a family picture and giving them a memory that they're gonna keep for life or you i don't know like um maybe doing something very artistic like fine art that somebody is going to have in a wall for 30 years mm. um so i think that's so interesting about photography how it's kind of like part of of our lives um, yeah. and it connects to other things. It connects to feelings, it connects to people, it connects to history. Um, so that to me is very interesting. And I, and I do think that for artists, it's never about just this one thing. And you guys um, you guys are very like multi multifaceted too. You do a lot <laughs> of super cool things. And um, I'm guessing you probably feel the same way, like when you take maybe a drum picture, but it wasn't only about the drum picture. It was about that day that you had on the beach with your wife or your husband and you created this experience and that picture is going to be like a mirror of that. And maybe for other people, it's just a pretty picture that they put in their living room, but for you, it's not. So I think that's very, it's very interesting. Or when you write or when you make a podcast, I have listen to not only the ones that you have done interviewing people, but about yourselves and your lives and your struggles. And I think that's very beautiful, like that you get to know the essence of people through their work. Like, okay, mm. this is the tip of the iceberg, it's the podcast, but it's not really about the podcast, it's about the people behind the podcast. It's about the intention behind the podcast. So I think that's what what's really beautiful to me, so yeah mm. <laughs> that was very eloquently put well yeah. done <laughs> <laughs> and you are very 
attracted or I don't know, like you, you, you like to focus your work on nude mm -hmm. photography uh, yes. on your website and your Instagram. Uh, how did you get into it and what's attract attracting you on, 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 on this field topic? I don't know. Yeah. And then also, is that something you've only done in um, Hawaii or did you start that as well in Miami? So well, the whole there. series <laughs> is in Hawaii, but the, let's say, backstory is in Miami because it was actually with this friend. She's one of my best friends and in Miami. And uh, one day, I don't even know how that happened, but we ended up coordinating a nude session and it was supposed to be just that, just a nude session. And it was like, okay, we're really good friends. We're like sisters, so we trust each other. And... She was even okay with me using the pictures uh, as long as her face wasn't in there for social media. So we did it that way. And then because she works with this for this very conservative employer, uh, she told me like, hey, like, I don't think it's going to be a good idea to post them. I have been thinking about it and I don't want to get in trouble. And I was like, no, I completely understand. I mean, the main goal is that you feel comfortable, some things in photography and I guess art in general, we don't necessarily create uh, for exposure every time. Sometimes we create for a bigger purpose, you know, like to connect to people because you think this art is meaningful to you in a way. So I was like, you know what, let's just print them out. I'll give you the digital versions. You can use them as a whatever you want. And I'll print uh, some pictures for you. So I gifted her three small prints of that series and that was it you know like i never used those pictures at all yeah. um so when i moved to hawaii i was talking to this friend at a bar and it was like very beginning of the pandemic when they well i guess i'm not so beginning they had opened the the restaurants already uh and i met this surfer girl who is very open-minded and free she's like 30 something and she's awesome so and she's a, an artist herself he, she sings opera mm -hmm. so that that was really cool to meet her and just connect like bond over art so i was telling her that story and she's like hey like if you ever want to keep going with that i will be definitely interested uh it's just that because of my work I wouldn't want, same thing, like I wouldn't want my face to be in the pictures, but we can still do it. And I was like, okay, cool. So we went to this super uh, beautiful waterfall and we took pictures and had so much fun. And she was the very first one. So that made me think, I don't know, like I really like doing this. Uh, it's something that I think for me, nudity is not about the superficial side of it. Like, okay, somebody naked, but it's more mm -hmm. about us being vulnerable it's like people exposing yeah. a side of you that you wouldn't show to anybody but maybe your partner so that to me is like being able to gain that trust and to build that relationship it puts us both in in um I guess like in a state of mind where it's like okay if we're already doing this then this is like the most vulnerable that you're gonna see me so it it makes you like open the space for even deeper things like every time i take pictures of these people we end up talking about super personal things in life and uh very vulnerable thoughts and is 
very interesting how almost all of them have a very uh, deep story about something like either like a trauma or um, something that they struggle with in general. And well, everybody struggles, but I think for them, it's just like a space to be free and to be able to love themselves and connect to their bodies and trust somebody else to make that into art. And I think that's so powerful. Um, and that's when the idea came up. One day I was just sitting uh, on my computer and I was like, I really want to make this a series. Um, so how do I call it? And then bare idea came up. So I liked it. I thought it was just very simple. Um, and then I started writing about it and had this idea of turning it to, into a book because I think it's directly connected to their stories. Um, so I'm still trying to think if I'm going to add probably not stories of every person I photograph because it's not like maybe some people feel comfortable being naked but not necessarily talking about certain things or the opposite. Yeah. So I'm mm -hmm. still trying to figure out how to curate this content for like the literature con content, but the pictures I think are going really well. So I'm still, I guess, figuring it out if I want to do a short story book that is separate from the photo book or if I want to combine them. Mm -hmm. um, my initial idea was to have picture story, picture story, picture story. And I think that's what motivates me the most. Like it will be, for people to see what I see, kind of. Like when I see that picture, it's not only like, okay, this pretty naked girl, but this story behind it, I think is more powerful than just a picture. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like, you said, like, like you said before, it's, I mean, it's incredibly courageous to get naked in front of someone and let someone take a photograph of you. I mean, that's... <laughs> Out in nature as well, and not just in a studio that's yeah. like cornered off you're like out in the wild <laughs> exactly yeah, like somebody could come and see you <laughs> mm. yeah yeah it's super courageous and 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 like you just said before it's i, I i'm sure you heard like amazing amazing and maybe heartbreaking stories also in, in the sense that you said like you can see this really beautiful person like i don't know like you know you Oh, like, oh, she's pretty or he's pretty, so he's got everything in life or whatever. But actually, you never know what's happening in their life. And they might have some insecurities or trauma that, you know, you don't see like that. But we, as a society, we attach so much importance to the look and the, 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 totally. our bodies and everything. That it's, yeah, it'd be interesting to have a story with a, a book or something, yeah, with pictures and stories. Because you could dive deep into them and it's not yes. just the picture or whatever yeah it's it's really and, and i've seen you photograph man and woman as well like both yes yes yeah. i did i have been wanting to have more men in the series but i guess it's more common for girls to want to be part of it versus men um but i'm just trying to create this narrative with people feel like it's just your body, you know, because I have had people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I really want to be part of your series, but I feel like I need to start working out. And I'm like, no, mm. that's actually the opposite yeah. of what I'm trying to express because for me, it's about self-love. 
so it doesn't matter how you look like i i don't want to retouch your cellulite i don't want to like make you like wrinkle less i don't want to do that i want you to look exactly how you look and to be comfortable um so i think and it's very easy to say but it's very hard to actually feel that way and even for me like i'm i'm not that person like i'm not like oh that super like most confident person in the world but i feel like i remind myself every time that this is me you know and i don't have to have a six pack to feel pretty i don't have to i don't know eat certain foods or do certain things to be valuable so yeah. that's something that is also i guess shaping not only them but me because every time i i take pictures i think of myself and and even for normal pictures that are not nudes i work for this photography company too that take takes pictures in the resort so it's like a complete different setting like very commercial family pictures the typical hawaii you know like very vibrant colors and overexposed pictures and you know the typical picture you will see in a tourism magazine kind of thing um and it's very fun it's not it's not like my passion project like bear idea but it's very fun to do and i i also sell the pictures so we take the pictures at not no cost like no upfront cost mm. so the next day they come and view them and select the ones that they want to purchase so mm. it was so interesting to me to hear how women because it never happened to me with men uh will see the pictures and they will make all these uh comments about their bodies like oh like i look so horrible look at my arm i hate my nose my hair mm. looks crazy all these things like i i had one lady once um she she was like oh like she was with the husband and she's like i look disgusting in these pictures and she will ask the the husband like don't you think like how disgusting i look and that wow. kind of stick stuff how do you say stick in past <laughs> Stuck. <laughs> um, stuck in my mind um, wow. and I guess among other reasons that was one of my motivations to start something that was more real you know more inspired by just your essence as a human being versus the way you look and our standards that can vary from country to country at the end of the day like Chinese people they like there's this very wide skin versus like in our side of the world the more time you are the better and yeah. some people consider you know being overweight actually a very sexy thing and then you know european models are very skinny and flat but latin americans get into surgeries to get bigger boobs so it, i think it's so interesting how even though beauty is such a subjective concept we still live by it and let that affect us when in reality it's not the reality it's just the perception we have according to what society told us it was right or wrong so when i started hearing all these women talk about their bodies um it made me think of myself and how how many times did i do this maybe not in such a dramatic way like saying that i am disgusting i think that's a little bit extreme but how many times i say oh i look so ugly 
or I don't like my face or oh I, I don't like my belly or whatever it is. So it made me think of, you know, if we could change that even a little bit, maybe just having another perspective on our bodies, uh, it will make a difference because at the end of the day, it's just cultural, it's social. And unfortunately, there's there's way more pressure on women than there is in men. Not that men cannot be insecure too, of course. But for women, the whole industry about, you know, makeup and perfect clothes and doing your nails and dyeing your hair and like all these lotions for your face and all. It's like the whole world is almost like telling you that you have to change the way you look. Change. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's the same for men. It's just we don't have the balls to admit it. That's all. We're just proud. <laughs> oh, really? But it's. I mean, come on. It's, we're all the same. We're all human, and I mean, it's the same. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because look, like you, you, you say usually it's the woman complaining or criticizing their image in the photographs, and the mm-hmm. man saying I look good or whatever. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you struggle to find men willing to get naked in front of the camera. That's true. That's true. So, you have a great point. So maybe you know, it's like they just don't talk about it. Yeah. Now that they don't feel like about, everything uh, like that, it's just that they don't talk about it. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's true. I'm relating so much to what you said about women criticizing themselves. I did portrait photography for a while as well. And every time, like you said, it's about like, oh, my arm is too fat and my dress is crinkled and my hair is gray and I've got wrinkles and this. And, and it's just like, for goodness, it's just the way like you look beautiful and it's the way you look and it's perfect. Yeah. And you just almost want to shake people and be like, get a grip. Like, you look fabulous. Stop trying to, yeah. I don't know. It, it gets, it got me so frustrated a lot of the time. Didn't I? I was like, oh my God, these beautiful people. Yes, and they don't believe they it. Even, yeah. even if you tell them and they think you're being sarcastic or that you're, maybe like exaggerating the yeah. perception about them because you want to sell a picture and it's like no if i if i saw you walking on the street i will still think you're beautiful yeah. but i think it that's so interesting how we are way more critical with ourselves and when it comes to others if you see your friends you think they're beautiful but then you see yourself and you have all these insecurities and it happens to all of us yeah. It's yeah, not like and, I'm, and, I'm not exempt from that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's true for even things apart from like physical things. Like, you know, like if you, I don't know, you, if I do something wrong, like I'm going to beat myself up and, you know, Rosie is going to come like, it's okay, it's not such a big deal. When it would mm-hmm. be someone else doing the same thing, like I would be saying the same, you know, like it's okay, it's not that bad, but we are really hard with ourselves usually like we tend to be our worst critics right that's mm-hmm. right so yes, it's true. yeah it's the same that's for physical I've... things but for everything happening in life usually we are just really hard with ourselves most of the time yes that's totally true that's why that that's saying that the worst enemy is ourselves i i really do believe that we are the ones who put that barriers before anybody else does yeah yeah, Clearly, yeah. Uh, something I want to encourage everyone to do if you're ever about to think something negative about yourself just think would you ever mm-hmm. say that to your best friend and if you wouldn't say it to your best friend don't say it to yourself so everybody listening yeah. just take that piece of advice would you say that to your best friend's face if not don't say it about yourself <laughs> you oh, I love that <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, that. I was like, very true. that. Yeah. yeah it's very true 
Yeah. Now I was just gonna ask, uh, how did you find this job in Hawaii? Because I mean, that's the dream of a lot of people, like <laughs> getting a job in Hawaii. How did you? How the, where the opportunity come from? Well, it was also one of those life coincidences that I was talking about. I feel like all the things that have happened to me in the last four years have been like crazy because I, it, it almost feels like I haven't been looking for it. Or maybe I was unlike my self-conscious or something. Yeah. But <laughs> I never really thought like, oh, I would love to live in Hawaii. Like, it would be amazing. No, it's, uh, it was more like I want to be a photographer. I want to be a full-time photographer. I want to break that myth that you cannot survive being a photographer i want to change that i have always been kind of like a rebel so if you tell me that you cannot do this i'm like oh watch me you know <laughs> yeah I, I have my very inner monica geller <laughs> <laughs> love that <laughs> So in my mind, I was always like, oh, but I want to do this. Like, why can I not do this? And in Miami, of course, when I started studying as any photographer, I would take oof, thousands of pic pictures at no cost. I would be like, hey, like to my cousin, can I take pictures of you with that car behind? And they will, they will be like horrible pictures, like <laughs> horrible. Like I look at them once in a while and I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking? But <laughs> I guess that's like... <laughs> Everybody so starts somewhere. Process, right? Yes, it's part of the process. Uh, and so I started taking lots of pictures uh, at my work at the school. I asked with them and I'm like, hey, can I take pictures of the graduate and can I like take pictures of this event and I will ask my family I will ask my friends and it was super fun um to be able to just grow and see that transition over time and um wait what was the question again I see like I'm like Dory <laughs> <laughs> Guys, sorry, I think you made a mistake in Biden. <laughs> <laughs> it's 5.30 no, a.m. You're doing yeah. absolutely amazingly. Like, no, the question like was, where, how, how, did you, how did you end up getting the job in Hawaii? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I went to the School of Photography. I became friends with the owner. His name is Roberto Mata. So the school is Roberto Mata School of Photography. Mm. And he's a super nice person, very humble, very dedicated. He's he's awesome like you connect with him in a personal level more than just being a teacher and the owner he's just a very approachable person and he gave me a lot of tips about other photographers and books to read and how to do certain things and the equipment i was going to buy all these things so uh one time he posted this story on instagram saying that uh they were looking for a photographer uh, for hawaii so i replied to the story and I was like, oh, what is this? Um, you know, can you give me more information? And he's like, well, this is a person in charge. You should get in contact with him. I don't remember exactly the connection, but it was like his cousin's mm. um, friend or like his friend's cousin, something like that. So um, this guy in Hawaii, who is also happens to be Venezuelan, he reached out to Roberto asking for help. And I replied to that story. He gave me the contact and I spoke to him, I think that very same day, the guy in Hawaii. So uh, he gave me a call and in my mind, I don't know what I was thinking, like, 
okay, maybe this is like a temporary, I go to Hawaii, take pictures and come back kind of thing. But it turns out it was a permanent position. So when he told me, okay, I gave your information to the human resources company, um, department and they're going to get in contact with you i did like four interviews and at that point i was same as with the lottery thing i was like hey maybe this is like one of those things like you know how likely it is that they're going to select me you know like i don't think so like you know how many people must be applying for this and so i did all the interviews and then they say yes and they were like okay when are you able to move and back then i didn't have anything figured out everything was crazy um i think that that's probably a story for another podcast but like uh, to like long story short when i moved it was maybe the same week i broke up with my ex like a nine year almost nine year relationship uh i lost my job and like the job that i had just gotten here in hawaii and we got into quarantine and everything happened the same week. But before that, like when it was still February, it was still like, you know, this virus in China, da, 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 like nobody knew it was going to escalate like that. So I moved and I absolutely loved it. How I was like love at first sight. I was like, how didn't I know about this place? It's like, it's so amazing. And people are just very nice. It's, it's just a very slow paced place and I loved it. So when that happened, I was like, oh, no way. Like I just moved a month ago and now I lost my job. Like, mm. <laughs> what am I going to do? So I, I decided to stay and I ended up moving to Maui with some coworkers to kind of like weather the storm together. And so I stayed and everything shut down like completely. The whole island was like, no restaurants, no malls, no, like nothing, nothing. Everything was completely closed. Even the beaches at the beginning were closed. So it, oh, wow. it was like, we were not in like actual quarantine, quarantine. Like you could leave your house, but there were so many restrictions. You couldn't walk on the street. Well, no, you could go on the streets and beaches if you were actively exercising. So that was kind of like funny because people who will never work out will go out yeah. to work out just because they wanted to be outside. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And then over the months, I met this surfer girl and I did that. So it was the perfect timing for me because it felt like I was uh, doing something that was for me and not for money for the very first time in my life. I felt like I was doing something that I was very, very passionate about. And um, so I started doing it and it was perfect because since everything was closed, there was no tourism. So I got to go to all these natural places pretty much empty. Now for me to find a place like that to take pictures is very hard. Like it, we will mm. see people, like there's no way we're not gonna see people. So the girl has to be way more confident with, okay, somebody might come. So are you comfortable with doing this deal? Or maybe have something handy that you can put on yeah. if somebody comes until they pass and that kind of thing versus back then. Um, I took those pictures of that very first girl at the waterfall. We were there for maybe two or three hours. Nobody passed. Wow. Nobody, nobody, not even one person. So that was a blessing. It was 
kind of like the perfect timing for me to start yeah. that project. And then everything then just got better. I got my job back at the end of last year. I ended up um, dating this guy who is uh, also a photographer and a filmmaker and a creator in so many ways. So, and it happened because of he was the one who invited me and another co-worker to live with him in Maui. Mm. So we will split the cost of living. Yeah. And then our other friend moved to another island. He left the house, da da da, and we stayed together. And we connected over so many things like art and I don't know. He's just a very passionate person. So we ended up dating, and it, it, I think it's so crazy. It's like in, instead of a summer love, a pandemic love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, everything got better. But it was a very dark time. At, at the very beginning of the mm. pandemic for sure and photography was like my way out i guess like writing and taking pictures definitely gave me a purpose yeah it must yeah. have been scary because i mean you move to the other side of the world there's nothing around you know it's not like you can take a car and go to see your someone like you're literally in the middle of the ocean with nothing there and I mean, moving is stressful by itself and suddenly like losing your job and everything. Yeah, that must have been frightening, honestly. I mean, you you did amazingly well. I mean, now everything is fine. So when when you look back at it, it's it's a good story to tell. <laughs> um, yes, yes, yeah, do I you guess. see yourself staying there for, for a bit? Yes. You like it there? Um, yeah. I really like it, but I guess uh, I have never pictured myself in just one place. Like there's something always in my mind, like, oh, I, I want to go and explore the world. So for me, uh, when people will tell me about, oh, like you should, you have been in, in Miami for two years, so maybe you should get into buying a house. I will be like, ah, I don't know that I want to. <laughs> And it's because I feel like it's attaching me to that place and I don't know that I want to do that. So, but then Hawaii felt a little different. Like I did kind of like fell in love with the island. Uh, however, I, I cannot really tell that this is the final place I'm going to be at. Like, I mean, come on, like Caracas and then Jersey and then Miami and then, <laughs> and then Big Island and then Maui, you know, like you never know what's going to happen no, in life. True. But for sure, I know that I really love it here. And while I'm here, I'm going to take advantage and probably see a lot of more naked people. (laughs) (laughs) How how do you feel about living in such a small, relatively small island? Um, It's it's so disconnected from everything. Do you you ever get like, I don't know, like island sick? Like, I don't know, like, you know. Cabin fever. Yeah, I don't know. The fact that you can't just, you know. drive and go see something else so i don't know like because living on an island is not easy like it's 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 a special way of living yes it's very interesting but also it's like the closest to being abroad that i have ever felt like living in the u.s because uh hawaii was um a kingdom and then it was occupied by the u.s um the the language was even banned uh, when the Americans moved here until the 80s. I want to say maybe 1984 or something or 1987. It was banned before that. 
so Hawaiians wouldn't even speak Hawaiian. And that's changing now. They're really trying to get that, to bring that culture back and teach the kids Hawaiian and ukulele classes and hula and all these things about their culture and their religion and, and all that. And I think that's very beautiful. It feels like almost being out of the U.S. And I really do think it's, it's, it's like in paper is part of the U.S., but it, it's not really. I think the culture here is so different. And um, I think it, it, they just live a very simple life that is inspired by just nature and connection. Everybody knows each other. They act like a tribe kind of thing for the good and the bad things. Uh, they protect each other and their land. Um, they really believe in, in, in protecting all these places and in sustainable tourism. Um, and I, I think I have learned so much from that and it made me so curious that I, I guess I was, um, I guess busy trying to understand that and so curious and motivated by that, that I never felt like, yeah, like having sick so much, maybe a few times, especially when that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was like, wow, I wish I could go to a friend's house and just talk with a glass of wine, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> so I guess that's the hardest part when you move to a different place and you don't know every anybody and to build those connections from scratch every single time, it feels like it's harder and harder the older we get because uh, the people you know are usually either co-workers or you have to go the extra mile to meet yeah. people. It doesn't happen naturally as you are a teenager and you have plenty of friends yeah. and you go to these massive parties and that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. anymore. So it's like, and not only find people, but people who are aligned to what you want in life because you mm -hmm. have so little time to do the things you love that you want to make sure that if I'm going to make time for you, it's because I believe in this, like, because I think this person brings me value because I think this friend has all these amazing things. And I don't know. Um, so you start being maybe more picky, but at the same time, more assertive with people yeah. or things you do. Hmm. Yeah, you're more precious yeah. with your time and who you spend your energy with and things. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. Makes sense. I have absolutely loved this episode. I feel like when Aww. I met you at Daybreaker, you're one of those people who like I felt like I just knew straight away, even without really Aww. talking. I was like, I feel connected <laughs> to this girl for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. So it's been so nice to actually hear about your Aww. background and where you're from and how you ended up in Miami and now how you ended up in Hawaii and the whole thing. It's just been so lovely to get to know you more. Um but we do have one last question that we try and ask everybody when we remember. Um, so I'm sorry if it throws you off. Jeremy always gets me to ask well, it. She, she's been listening to the episode, so she knows it. Oh, you're right now. Okay, <laughs> maybe, so. maybe I do. I think I might. I might. Let's see. So I don't know. Could, if you could speak to anybody in the world who you think is the most interesting person, they can be dead or alive and famous or not, um, just have a conversation with them and ask them some questions or whatever you want to talk about, who would it be and why? Oh, um... Let's see. I think, um, you know who? I think it will be Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Because, yeah, I think he he was such an interesting person. 
And maybe maybe I have the complete wrong perception, but like from what I perceive, maybe a very lonely person too. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I think it will be so interesting to hear not so much his travel anecdotes, which I mean, there are plenty of travelers out there with yeah. fun stories and everything, but more about the behind the scenes, you know, like what nobody talks about, um, how you manage to choose between family and traveling, how you maybe feel lonely sometimes because you are in a place where nobody knows you and you're moving around so much that maybe you don't get to do those lifetime connections or or maybe you do and then you have connections sort of all over the world who knows but mm. I think that's so interesting to me because I I feel like that's something I struggle with myself um just being able to find that balance like I do want to have a family at some point I I don't see myself without having kids um I want to adopt I don't necessarily want to be pregnant but I I would love to be a mom at some point and I would love to give them that like stability. But for me, I guess I don't need the conventional lifestyle. Like I see myself traveling with my kids and climbing mountains with my kids and buying this little tent where I can put them in and like all these (laughs) things. So um, I think it's interesting. And so many people tell you again, like I'm a rebel, like so many people tell you like, no, like you have to choose. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like you, your kids need to go to school. And if you change them from one school to the other one every day, every year, then they might grow without that, um, feeling of belonging. Um, so there are so many things about that, that, well, I don't know. I think travelers in general experience and everybody has a completely different perspective, but I think he is somebody who had that, I guess, like life that I will always look up to. Like, wow, like being able to camp in this place, like around whatever elephants and waking up to like lions in whatever. So that's so amazing to me. But then it makes me think like, what are the things that we don't know like about him? Yeah. Like what, like how, how many things he never spoke about probably. Yeah, so I think sacrifices. that's so interesting. Yeah, all yes. the real stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's always was, a price to pay for everything. Life, so if you, if you end up somehow having this conversation, I don't know how, can you record this? Because mm-hmm. I listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever speak to him, that yeah. would be amazing, right? If you can make it happen somehow. <laughs> if it's one of those things in your life that just happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that was such a good amazing. answer. I don't think we've had that one before. No. And it also let us know a little bit more about you as well and about wanting mm-hmm. kids and all the rest of it. So thank you for sharing. thank you guys for everything and you're doing an amazing job by the way with the podcast and i guess your lives in general is very inspiring so i'm very honored to be here (laughs) thank you (laughs) well thank you so much for sharing your story i honestly really enjoyed it um i hope everybody listening as well enjoyed it make sure you go and find vanessa how can we find you on instagram (laughs) if people want to go and say hello my bear idea series account so my nude pictures are <laughs> on <laughs> Vanessa with double S, obviously. Vanessa Arias, R, mm-hmm. and then my 
other photography, more like commercial type of photography, is Vanessa Arias Photography. And then my website is vanessaariasphotography.com. Okay, we'll Mm -hmm. make sure to leave everything linked in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much again. To everybody listening, we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you go and say hello to Vanessa. Make sure you come back next week. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you. Aloha. Oh, (laughs) I have a a last thing to teach you guys. Um, So in Hawaiian, they don't really believe in saying goodbye, but more like until we meet again. So it's ahui ho. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, so it's like until we meet again. That's that oh. will be the translation instead of goodbye. So that's yeah. a nice way to say it. Nice way to end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.